episode 16 with Shane Hendrickson. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this one. And I'm glad I, we had a chance to uh, fit this in my schedule on tour. And Shane is a Vancouver boy and a great bass player. Uh, I really enjoy his playing a lot. And he's been uh, doing this a long time. I think you'll really like his story. Make sure you uh, check out the whole thing. Uh, listen to us on iTunes, uh, in session at Darren Walters, and also available on Google Play Music and Stitcher. Uh, just Google uh, in session with Darren Walters. You'll find it lots of places. And uh, let's get the thing going. Rolling. Woohoo. Shane Hendrickson in the house. Yeah. Nice to have you here. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, like two things here. I'm coming off a cold, so I'm going to be coughing every now and then. Sorry. Right. I got my fisherman friends here in my tea. So good. hopefully it'll, you know. Won't be too bad. And secondly, man, I've never done one of these. This is awesome. Either Thanks. I. Thanks. <laughs> no, I've heard <laughs> yours. No, even man, you you're rocking this. It's so good. Thanks. Like it's so interesting. Even the guys I don't know, I listen to, and it's like, wow, that's really cool. Because everybody's got a good story, and everybody's got something you can learn from. Yeah, and you can relate, right? Absolutely. I think that's oh, yeah. Part Absolutely. of it is like whatever the story is, you can. There's a bit of you that probably understands exactly what they're talking about. Been and, there or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. what I've been enjoying. I've just been enjoying the conversations. Yeah, yeah. It's and a good way to just get together with people and talk about stuff. Yeah, because you know. when it comes down to it, how often you're on the road, with, right. usually with a set uh, people and you, you hang out, but you really don't talk very deeply yeah. most of the time. Yeah. You know, maybe something's going on in life, you might hear about it. Right. But uh, you don't really sit down yeah. and know everything about someone's life, unless you've been with them since the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, probably someone at Corey you would know a lot about. Sure. Um, but then, you know, someone that you, that's the cool thing about musicians. Uh, you can meet people and 10 years later you can meet up and it's like you just hung out, yeah, you know, last right. week, yeah. right? You just automatically become friends. Yeah. And, and you know what, it's like you, you see people you haven't seen for a while and instead of, you know, you don't get into heavy conversation. It's usually something like, hey, you won't believe what happened on the road. And then that's another road story, another road yeah. story. You're going back and forth and you're never really talking about, you know, deep stuff about where they are, where they're from, what they did. Yeah. So it's great. You know, it's a great venue to, to find out all the, all the background on people. Yeah, it was, I think I've told the story, but um, when I started, I really didn't know, I, I kind of knew what I wanted to do with the podcast, but I really right didn't know what direction it was going to go. We're going to talk real technical. We're going to talk about this. Right. So I had Jim Witter do the first one and we've been friends for a long, long time. I knew it'd be just an easy talk. Right. 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 And then we got done. It's like, I know exactly what I want to do. Cause it just kind of fell into place. Right. Right. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's been fun. I, you know, I really enjoy it. It's, it's something, it's a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And having to learn a lot of stuff. Um, now you just, you know, you, you think about, well, you just post it and away you go. It's like, yeah. no, nah, it's a lot more than that. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you want to, you know, really be successful at it. But yeah, um, uh, that's not really the point for me. Um, but I want to get out there for people to hear. And, and uh, you know, uh, it takes a lot of time. Um, yeah, yeah, and you got to build an. It's like it, being in a band; you got to build an audience. Yeah. All that stuff. It's word oh, yeah. of mouth. It's everything, you know. And yeah, and man, I'm but I'm loving it. It's cool. Great. It's great. So, uh, 
You've been playing a long time. <laughs> yeah, a long, long time. I, you know what? I don't even like to think about it because you know, I'll, you you kind of go about your day to day stuff and you play your gigs and that, and then somebody starts asking about this stuff and you start thinking, oh yeah, the, well this was in 1990, but and you start thinking that's not that's not recent history. That's a, that's like a long time ago. Yeah. So when you actually st- start thinking about how long you've been doing it, it's it's mind boggling because. I, I can't believe I'm still in this business after all these years. Yeah, it's it's because you you think about it, you say, "How long have you been playing?" Well, you think I've been playing a few years, <laughs> like, and and I think, crap, I've been playing forty four years. Yeah, how does that happen? Yeah, it's like no, and, and it still feels great and still fresh, and it doesn't feel like you've run out of things to do or. Uh, you, well, you you want to think you want to keep doing it until you're not relevant anymore, and you. And obviously, we're still relevant. Yeah, we still have something to give. So, I guess that's why we're still here. Yeah, I remember. Remember the days where I always used to be the young guy yeah, in the right, band, like right. always the youngest guy by a long shot. Yeah, and uh, I remember well, quite a few years ago now, I was playing. I can't remember what gig it was, and I looked around and I was like, "Oh crap, <laughs> I'm the old guy. I'm the old guy. <laughs> I'm the guy that I was, you know, looking at." Yeah, when I was younger, going oh, there's the, playing with the old guys, and I'm now the old guy, um, but I don't feel yeah like the old guy. But it's and you don't were, look like the old. When you think back at those guys, you think oh, they looked really old. Yeah, but I I can't relate. I mean, I played with a bunch of old time fiddle guys when I was a kid, you know, and 15 years old or whatever, and and I was thinking oh, they're so old and playing, and I'm thinking now those guys were probably younger then than I am now. Yeah. You know, and but yet to me, they were just like these ancient guys, you know, that, you know, were in their 70s and 80s, but they probably weren't. Yeah. You know, but to, to my young mind, they were just ancient. It's funny now when I think about when I was younger, I wish I would would have spent more time hanging with the older guys. Right. Not that I didn't, but <clears throat> you, you got along and you did your gigs, but... I should have asked more questions or I should have absolutely yeah. tried to learn more from them. But you don't think about that as much when you're younger. But now, um, when you get older, you feel, I've, I feel like I have something to give back, back yeah, to yeah. people. And I, I, you know, if I have the opportunity, um, I'd try to, right. you know, as long as you feel someone's open to it. There's this guy that I've been, uh, going to this little theater in Saskatchewan and uh, uh, he's just a, a local school teacher. He's the tech at the theater. He doesn't really know audio at all, uh, but he's kind of like the only guy in town that has any interest in being there. Right. So every time I go in, I'll, you know, I'll sit there and spend 15 minutes with him and show him something different on the console. I don't know if he, he takes it. He's really interested in learning. Right. Um, last time I showed him what reverb was. He didn't know what reverb was. Uh, <laughs> And blew his mind. Whoa. Yeah, it's like hot. Showed him how to you route to it, how you turn it up, and and uh, uh, in the time before he, they called in the panic, we were we had done a show with Red Green, and I had flown flown up, and I was relieving uh, the guy that was out on the road, and uh, so I got there at night after the show was done. The next morning, we we're getting ready to to leave, and they called us in a panic because uh, my guy had re change the inputs of the channels you did an internal patch different right so now channel 10 11 we're actually channel 22 23 whatever 
and he's you just turning up those channels where his wireless mics are supposed to be and there was nothing there <laughs> so i went over and I, I knew it's like okay I, i'm gonna have to go over there's no way i'm gonna be able to tell him so i made him a patch um and i said showed him how to save and recall I said here's here's a patch that if anything happens just always restart this one all the time and it's a trick i've always learned everyone always puts their on a console their template at the beginning right right and that's the one that always gets burnt because you always everyone's using those first 10 absolutely recall yeah. i said yeah. put it at the very very end like right. 199 whatever it is <laughs> that's where you put your template because no one ever gets down that far right, right? So no one's going to even look there and it's not going to get screwed up. He's going to override it. So yeah. always put one at zero, always put one at the very end at 199, whatever ends up being whatever console. And that's the one you can always rely it's not going to get touched. Right. Anyways, I always feel that when I'm there, <coughs> I have to teach him and he appreciates it. Yeah. And instead of being angry that this guy doesn't know what he should know for that position, it's just like, yeah, I think, well, that's, you know, it's not his fault. And, he's, and he's just trying to help out. Yeah, and we were there once, you know. And, oh, yeah. And we all know how it feels and and to, to actually, you know, help him out without judgment or anything. I mean, maybe when you get back, to, you know, to the buds and say, geez, this guy, you know. But when he's there, you know, you treat him with respect and you, you try to teach him and give you a little of your knowledge. Because you would love that at, at the beginning, right? Yeah, and he's super nice and he's not, yeah. he's not cocky. He's not trying yeah. to be something he's not. Yeah. He's just... You know, he's basically saying, help me. Yeah. <laughs> but I love uh, new players, you know, want to sit down with you. It's like, why the heck would you want to sit down with me? And then you think, okay, I guess I do have something to offer. And, and I got experience and I got the stories and all that. I get it. But like you say, they have to be open. Yeah. You don't want to be the guy sitting there. Well, I played with this guy and I did this and I went, you know, name dropping and stuff. And, you know, the, the guys in Aaron's band used to give me, a lot of grief. It was like, oh, here we go again, <laughs> you know. And, and then after a while, you're just like, oh, I'll just shut up. And, and and unless anybody really wants to know, and then you get the odd guy that would ask you something about who you played with, and all that. And you're start and in the back of your mind, you're thinking, this is probably a setup. This is probably the guy yeah. saying, hey, check this out. He's going to talk about it again. <laughs> you know. So you're always paranoid about telling your stories. So, well, here we go. We're going to tell it. <laughs> uh oh. So. You grew up in Moose Jaw, right? Uh, about an or, hour south. There's a little farming yeah. community called Crane Valley. And when I, uh, when I uh, was growing up there, there was like 50 people. Wow. Like small, small. And when you grow up in that small of an area, you think, well, that's kind of like the world's like. You, yeah. know? you think, oh, there's big cities. And even when I was a teenager, I was thinking, boy, you know, before I die, I want to go to Calgary someday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how small my world was. So yeah. it was tiny. There was, you know, there, there wasn't any musicians in my town. Uh, my brother got a guitar from my grandma, I think, for Christmas. Uh, it was more like a dobro, you know, one of those <clears throat> cheap, yeah. you know, acoustics and the strings are this high. And I think he got a Mel Bay book and I got a ukulele or something, which I didn't want to play. And uh, I think he, he lost interest. So I decided, well... I want to try to learn to play this thing. And yeah. I think he showed me a few chords in the Mel Bay book, showed you where you put your fingers. And I, we had this old tin shack out in the back of our house. And, you know, summertime, it was like 110 degrees in that thing. And I'd be sitting there playing, you know, my poor little fingers on this guitar. And, yeah. and eventually, that's basically how I started learning. And that, I guess, was the trigger for what I wanted to do, even though I didn't know it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I wasn't like, hey, I'm going to be a star because 
I'm from Crane Valley, Saskatchewan. Nobody's the star here. You have to be that guy over there in New York or whatever. Those are the stars. You know, I, I don't have a chance, you know, of, of doing this. And that was my attitude for a lot of years. So Papa didn't have much in school as far as a music program? Or there was anything? no music program at all. I mean, I think our school, there was nine in my graduation class. Wow. Like, that's how small it was. Yeah. And it got down one every year till I think there was like one left and... It's in the town has like six people in it now and nothing, not much there anymore. Yeah. But yeah, there was no, there was no musicians around. I mean, there was younger or older guys than me that had albums and stuff. And my, even my folks didn't have a lot of music albums. They had comedy like Bill Cosby albums yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And we had like CKCK AM radio out of Regina and it was, it was playing like, you know, a muskrat love and, yeah. And Elvis stuff when Elvis wasn't really cool anymore. And it wasn't like I was listening to James Brown or anything or yeah. anything cool. I didn't even know who that was until years later. But uh, one nice thing is all the communities around there were kind of dying. You know, they're getting smaller and smaller. And so at grade seven, they would bus other kids from other school, uh, other communities. Yeah, yeah. And there happened to be three guys that were, you know, one's a couple fiddle player. One guy was drummer and stuff like that. And they were coming to my school. So we kind of connected we did uh, some, you know, jamming together and we decided to start doing gigs, you know, and it was like we knew 20 fiddle tunes and, yeah. oh, we got another request for, you know, this song and you play it over and over and over again and people didn't care. Like it didn't cost them anything to get yeah, us yeah. and they could still get just as drunk and dance just as much to us, squeak, you know, squeaking away on a few tunes. And yeah. so that's kind of what it started and then moved on to like, you know, bigger small bands and like i say the old time fiddle bands and so where were you playing then <clears throat> well I, I was always bass yeah and i played guitar uh you know as a kid but i think when those guys when i went to schools uh, came together and i met those guys we needed a bass player yeah and if memory serves me right i think i was the first guy to give in it's like oh, okay i'll play bass yeah. and you know my folks didn't have cash back then so yeah. i'd literally be not you know this is where the fiddles come in because i'm telling a heartbreaking story but i literally had to walk and pick beer bottles and stuff out of the ditches to get enough money and i remember my dad took me to regina to the sears bergen basement and there was this beat up old base and it was missing fret markers and one of the pickups didn't work and it it's was half fretless yeah <laughs> <laughs> literally and it was like 25 bucks and i'd picked enough beer bottles to get that and i can't remember what i did for an amp or anything like that. so anyways i was i was that was my intro to playing bass and thank god because i'm a shitty guitar player i always have been and always will be but bass seemed to kind of work for me so yeah. that was it that was it and i was into it and and like i say i started getting gigs with these other fiddle bands and learning off of them and all these standards and you know i was probably you know i think back i was probably terrible back then but you know these guys needed someone and and thank God they took a chance on a kid, you know. I don't know if I would have done that. You know, yeah. The guy without even a license. My grandma had to drive me to the gigs and oh, yeah, yeah. sit there all night and then drive me home. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you, you start playing at that age, right? Because you're not thinking about anything Yeah. But besides having fun. Yeah, and I, I really miss that. I mean, even <clears throat> when I started playing bars and moose jaw and stuff like that, I lived for the weekend where you got to play. Yeah. You weren't trying to climb the ladder. You weren't trying to do anything else. You were just wanted to play. Yeah. 
And I'm, and then you know when you a friend of mine said when you put business after the word music it changes it takes all the fun out because yeah. now it's a business and you have to keep relevant or you have to keep moving up you know and that's that now it's just, now you're struggling now yeah. you're like working hard weekend guys in bars they don't they just want to get there and have a few beers and play some songs and have their friends tell them they're great and that's all they want yeah and I I'm so envious of that because. I miss that. Yeah, because it's not like <clears throat> that anymore. No. Um, like you said, you get to a point where now you're thinking about the show, you're thinking about this, and it's not, you know, you're thinking what the other person's thinking about what you're playing. And, um, Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, I've been thinking about at home in the studio, just setting everything up just so everyone, anyone who wants to come in, you could, if I'm doing anything, everything's ready to go. There's this bass station, there's a guitar station. There's right, right. Everything ready, always. And I've just been thinking lately, you know, I should do like maybe once a month, just whoever wants to come down for a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And let's just plug in and play and have fun for no reason at all. Right. Other than just to have fun. Yeah. Let's forget about whatever. Yeah. And let's pick a few tunes um, that might be, you know, fun or challenging or something um, and say, hey, here are the tunes we're going to play or learn right and what gets together you know you do a little practicing and you come and you woodshed it and, and just have fun playing yeah um so yeah and i might spin this podcast into something like that too where i wanted to do a a video thing where um maybe guests would be you know part of that right whole sit down and, and yeah, have yeah. fun you know yeah. or just it, bring someone in and like have just guys you know or just and, a hang one, you know yeah and one guy that does it for a living or something and you'll just you know egos at the door just have fun yeah and for them it's like wow i got to play with this guy and you know it'd be a big deal for them and and for the the ringer or whatever you want to call it it would just be fun yeah you know getting no no pressure just yeah because you know it always ends up you know everyone it gets to a point now where you feel well okay there's a gig well it's a rehearsal how much is it for the rehearsal yeah. <laughs> and and I understand that part of it, but there's a part that, how come these people just don't get together and play right? and not worry about money? Right. And I think lots of times musicians are sitting around all day long and not really doing anything. Right. Um, you know, not everybody, but there's a lot of, you know, you're waiting to the weekend or whatever the right. night your gig is and why not get together and, and play? Well, when I, when I was playing with Natalie McMaster, it was like, that's their culture still. Yeah. It's like, you don't get together and have coffee. You get together, have coffee and play. It's just like, there's a fiddle in every house in Cape Breton kind of thing. There's a piano in every house. It's just like, it's just part of visiting. Yeah. You play tunes. And I thought, wow, that is such a, such a great thing. And they, these house parties they have all the time. And, you know, there's people lined up to play and music never stops. It goes for eight hours and just never stops Yeah, because there's always something there to play and they're not showing up. I'm playing with this guy. It's just like, oh, they need a piano player. Where we go? Oh, you need a fiddle or I'll join you or whatever. You know, it's just, it was just such a mind blowing thing to see because yep. who does that? Yeah, I know. And it's just, it's no attitude. I remember trying to remember who it was for. Maybe you shouldn't say there was this kind of, kind of jam uh it was kind of a tribute to somebody um back home years ago and i went and showed up and everyone was like you know come on up and 
play for a little bit and I brought my fiddle and there was another fiddle player on stage. So I came up and they were basically, Hey Darren, come on up and play fiddle. So usually you just trade off, right? right? So I went up and said, you know, the fiddle player I hadn't, I knew who he was, but I never met him before. I said, Hey, how you doing? You know, introduced myself, shook his hand and stuff. I said, you know, do you mind if I, you know, plug into your amp? And it was like, no, <laughs> I was like, um, okay. So, uh, and everyone is on stage is kind of looking and it's like, what's going on over there? So I just went across the other side of the stage. There's a couple of steel players been over there. So I went into one of the steel guitar players amps, which is great. Cause I prefer that. Right. And he stayed on stage. So we started playing and he just turned up and basically wouldn't let me play. So they were just playing like Chattahoochee and you know, Alan <laughs> yeah, Jackson yeah, songs yeah. and they would pass solos around and he would just jump on and take the solo. And three songs, four songs went by and I hadn't even chance to take a solo because <laughs> he jumped on every single one of them. And finally the singer, you know, everyone on stage felt how weird and it was. And he finally said, all right, Darren, take one. And it just finally gave it to me, right? Just had to basically say, and I just felt like an idiot, you know? Yeah, it's yeah, like, right. I played another tune and said, ah, oh, thanks, it's been fun, guys. <laughs> I went back and everyone at my table, they're like, what the heck was that? And I said, yeah, I, I have no idea. And there was no reason for it. But he Insecurity just, though. Yeah, it was just, and I'll never forget that. Yeah. And that was probably 10, 15 years ago. And I don't think I've ever run into that fiddle player again, but right. that will stay with me yeah. forever. And if anything ever came up that I need to, you know, suggest a fiddle player, his name will <laughs> never, never yeah. ever come up. <laughs> and it's just, I'm thinking, well, not that a fact that I'm, I wanted to feel like I needed to play or show off or anything. It was just common courtesy, right? Yeah, right. And well, it just, you know, you, you know, this business, there's so many people out there and that are insecure even yeah. for no reason, like they're great players, but they still have that insecurity. I remember um, with Natalie, we were touring with Bela Fleck and the Flectones, like the great, literally the greatest players in the world. Yeah. No attitude, no ego, no nothing. I could not believe it. These guys were just like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, I play banjo, big deal. You know, it isn't like I'm the great Bela Fleck and I'm the great Victor Wooten and you know, I had to stand beside Vic every night on the encore to playing, you know, the same song he's playing. And, you know, I could barely play because yeah. here's this, you know, my idol. And he's, you know, if you do something, he'd like, hey, that's great. You know, it's like. Yeah, it's. This, just once, absolutely zero yeah. attitude, zero ego. And But the guys that, you know, are maybe not as advanced. Yeah, some of them just are hard to work with, hard to, to deal with. I mean. I remember uh, CCMA, there was a house band and and the bass player was just so cold. And it's like, it's just, you know, it was an after hour party that, that they wanted us to play at. And, you know, I I was sick and I was in bed and I had to get out of bed to go down and play this thing at like two in the morning. And and it was just all this attitude. And I'm thinking, it's just drunk people. There's like, there's no, what's no, the point? Yeah. You know, yeah. and there was a couple of basses on stage and of course, I got handed the low end where all the other guys were playing the nice, nice bass. And yeah. it's like, well, ah, whatever. Yeah. You know, that's, if that makes, if that 
floats your boat, go for it. And I'm fine with it. Yeah. I'll go up here and play my, whatever we did, four songs to the people out there. They don't care. Yeah. I don't care. It's funny, yesterday, talking uh, with Aaron, uh, we were talking a bit about that. He's talking about you guys in the band and, you know, working with really great musicians. And I was talking, I told a little story years ago in the studio that um, always use great players, but then I one point decided to go with a really, you know, the, the A-less guys. Right. And one of the guys was Mike Francis, Pepe. Um, and how great he was. So we, this is the weird thing that happened yesterday. And it's been a, quite a long, long time since I've talked with, with Pepe. So we talked about this in the podcast and you know how great I thought, thought he was and he just nailed everything and he was really fantastic. So we were done and I decided, I had a couple hours, so I decided let's drive downtown. I haven't been downtown for a while. I'm driving downtown and my phone rings and I'm, my phone's been ringing like from Miami, from New York, from Arizona the last few days, all these spam calls like constantly. Right, right. And I looked at it, it was Ontario and I'm thinking, yeah, it's gotta be another. <laughs> but it said, well, maybe it isn't, it's Ontario. So I answer and I said, hey, uh, hello. And it says, hey, Darren, how's it going? It's, it's Pepe. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> I was just talking about you and it's literally been maybe five years since I've talked with him. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was just the weirdest thing. And we, we talked for 30 minutes all the way uh, to my drive into downtown. And, uh, you know, we talked about the studio. He used to do tons of work. And he said, yeah, I want to really come back. And I've been kind of away from the studio uh, quite a bit <coughs> the last few years just because I'm on the road a lot. Right. But I'm anxious, really, really anxious to get back in again. So anyways, it was just a weird thing. And we we're having that conversation about, you know, really A-list players and, and uh and here it just kind of called out the boot right after I talked about him. It just Whoa. freaked me out after we hung up. Like, wow, that was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? And here's the thing also about players like A-list or B-list. Um, you know, I, I'd love, I always said I always wanted to teach a, or do a seminar with, with guys that want to be sidemen because everybody's like, oh, how do you get the good gigs? Yeah, I mean, getting a good gig is, is hard, but keeping it is way harder yeah. because... You know, if you're, you could be the best player in the world. And I've played with some great guys that never got callbacks. If you're a great player and you're bringing a lot of baggage on the road, if you're goof, you know, being an idiot, it doesn't matter how good you are. Cause the artist is like, I got enough shit to deal with. Yeah. I got interviews. I got this. Now I have to put out fires with you and you're not getting along with the band. And, and, uh, you know, so, you know, the guys that out there that aren't the greatest player, you still got just as much a chance because if you, if you come and you do a good job, you still got to do a good job. Yeah. You know, we all hear about the stories of the elite players and oh my God, he just came in and he blew everybody away. But you know, if you don't have the road chops, you're not going to get a call back. You're yeah. Not. A lot of those really top guys aren't on the road anyways. Mm -mm. I mean, they're, they're doing studio, studio guys, work yeah. or at a level where they don't have to interact. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're flying in, they're doing their thing and they're out. Yeah. When you get on a, in a rolling tube down the road for six weeks and, and you know, your personality has got to kind of match or you've got to be one of those people that just don't let things get to you yeah. because that can, you know, it can blow up. And, and yeah, like I say, great players just don't have the road chops. Yeah. You know, you got to adapt. You got to be, you got to have that personality where things don't get under your skin, all that stuff. And, and you also, a lot of these guys don't realize when you're on a tour, 
you're you're basically 24 hours a day representing the artist. Yeah. And people forget, oh, they go to the bar and they get drunk and do stupid stuff. I can go to a bar and smash the place up and nobody's going to go, oh, Shane Hendrickson was in my bar, you know, wrecking things. They'll go, no, Aaron Pachette's bass player was there. So yeah. now it's on Aaron or Natalie or whoever I'm working with. Yeah. You know, so you've got to understand that you are representing them as soon as you start on that tour or on that gig or whatever. As soon as you get to town, if you fly in, you can't, you know, if you're an idiot, you're going to lose the gig. Yeah. That and, and everyone will hear about it. Eventually. Yeah. You know, it's a but small it's, community. It's never, you know, like I heard stories of <clears throat> guys doing crazy things. I don't know their name, but I know who they played with. Yeah. So I'll say, oh, you know, what's his name's bass player, you know, or drummer or whatever did this stupid thing. It affects the artist. So when the artist has to deal with that on top of everything else they have to do, you're going to lose the gig. Yeah. You know, no matter how much you sit there and practice and know and look you know, how good you look and all that stuff. I mean, my saving grace is I look terrible. So I have to work even harder <laughs> musically to keep my place in a band. I mean, I'm not a, 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 a <laughs> you know, a, a glam boy on stage and everybody's going, ooh, you know, so... I'm the old guy in the back that has to work twice as hard as the good looking guys in the front because I don't have that advantage. <laughs> yeah. And there's part of, you know, I think, I mean, you take a lot of the, the rock stars, right? Right. You know, the guys, a lot of those guys aren't good looking guys or gals, No, but they have the right attitude, right? Yeah, right. They have the right swagger. They got the right, right, you know, there's something that looks very rock star about them. And, sure. You know, that's, and that's part of the thing that that's, that sells as well but yeah i mean meatloaf had just as many groupies as any rock star and look at that guy yeah but it was his whole persona right yeah exactly <laughs> so zipping back um eventually you uh start working with the uh the Turco family right? yeah man that was if, if i start thinking back in my time that was the gift right there i was you know what there was a couple things led up to that i i had you know, I realized that I wasn't going to be a musician where I was or, you know, anything more than I was. And I had the chance to go to university. So I wasn't great in school. So, you know, how do you go to university? And my dad wanted me to go to university. So I took this like vocational agriculture thing and first year totally failed. But what I wanted to do was get to Saskatoon so I could play, yeah. find players. And I couldn't get arrested. I couldn't get gigs and all that. And I finally got a gig with this terrible band and Anyways, it all fell apart, and I had to move back home. Uh, my dad was having some problems, and he needed some help on the farm, so I moved back to the farm, and I met this guy, Gary Pequin, in, in Moose Jaw, and he was a standard, like, he was a, he was the guy in Moose Jaw, like, he had yeah. the band that played every weekend, and all the places, all the bars, and, and um, he, uh, and it was all older guys, and, you know, I was the worst in the band, so I had the most to learn which was great. I love being the worst guy in the band because it really ups your game, right? Yeah, it makes, it, instead of them better. coming down to your level, you have to go up to theirs. So yeah. it was great. And he heard, he knew the Cherko family and Roman, the dad was, their mom was going off the road and he was talking about it. And, and he said to me, you should call them. You should call them and, and uh, see if they're look, really serious about looking. And I'm like, yeah, they're not going to hire me. So there's no point. And thank God he took it on himself to call. And next thing they're down at the bar, we're playing some bar and they all come down and sitting there and I'm talking to them and got the gig, you know, and, and, and I think for the, the, you know, Corey and Kevin, it was like, here's another young guy. <clears throat> Cause yeah. you know, their mom was in the band and 
they're thinking long term. Here's a guy he likes rock. He like he's good at country. He does all this stuff. We got the same influences. Perfect, you know. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, they they hired me, and away I went. And we were on the road playing. It was back when you played six nighters every week. Yeah. You know, there was, and then Sunday you drive to the next one. And sometimes if you're lucky, you had two weeks at one place. So you had a day off and, and they, you know, there's a, the thing we call me and Jason always talk about, Jason Brinkworth talk about uh, the prairie ethic. Mm-hmm. And it's like guys, for some reason, the prairie guys and maybe Ontario too. I know West coast doesn't have it, mm-hmm. but this prairie ethic about the work ethic, you know, it's like you work hard. You don't just, and those guys had a great worth ethic and, they uh, they wanted to write. They wanted to be more than just a club. Uh, the boys did. Yeah. They wanted to be more than what they were. And so, man, we worked hard, hard, hard. And and like I say, on the road. And those in those days, it was smoky bars and you know lots of hard travel and lots of ter- you know it wasn't like a nice hotel room you're staying in. Yeah. And, you know, just the worst places. But man, you were playing. And then when you weren't playing, you were learning new songs or you were working on your instrument and. And it was just, it was the best ex- thing that could happen to me. Like absolute, just a gift, like a winning the musician's lottery, working with those guys and the whole family. And, and, you know, we did that as Corey's already talked about, we did it. I don't know how many years we, we were on the road with them or I was on the road with them. And then Corey got a call from Larry Wanagas, who was Katie Lang's manager, or maybe still is, um, that he had an act that he heard Corey was great. And, I think it was the moment of realization that it's time to move on. Yeah. And and Corey said, "Well, you know, my brother and a bass player, they can if you're looking for them, they can do it too." And that was kind of the reason we moved out to Vancouver area, and you know, in one place instead of moving around. And yeah. And uh, that that just leapfrogged into everything else, and into the Underground Outlaws, the Explorer thing, the two bands, same yeah. members, and you know. We went to, we did a every contest we could that that you could win studio time at because that was the only way we could afford it. Oh and yeah, we ended up winning this Canadian band contest and going over to Tokyo and playing there. And yeah, I remember seeing that one back in the day. It's and, crazy, yeah. Like yeah. Just you know, to win this, Nick. No, nobody wins it. Somebody else wins it. You know, like I always yeah. said, it's not we don't do it, and we actually won. And and just the connections over there and. So, you know, we were, we were, you know, the, the Larry Wanagas thing didn't last very long, the act we played with and God, we were, I was living in a van, literally living in a van and using the uh, Larry's office to, you know, do bird baths in the morning, you know, to freshen up and, and Corey and his gal were, had a place and Kevin and his family, he had a young family and he was doing odd jobs and stuff and it was just such a tough time, but you know, all this hard work and exposure we got uh, uh, landed us a deal with the guy who owned Little Mountain Studios at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so literally we were going to a gig, playing from nine till two, packing up, going straight to the studio, working all night in the studio until they kicked us out in the morning because they needed it for a paying customer. Yeah. And then we'd catch a bit of sleep, just repeat, repeat, repeat. And when the money started running out, we'd go into the prairies and go to Calgary and do a week or two and get the big money and then come back and put it all into recording. And it was crazy. We'd go in, go, we were in Little Mountain and for, for a year we spent there 
And, uh, you know, Bon Jovi was in there doing Slippery When Wet the first half of the year. And yeah. then uh, Aerosmith was doing Pump the next half of the year. And, and we got so comfortable in there. And, and uh, we started, you know, we were in Studio B, all the big guys in Studio A. Yeah. yeah let's go see what they're doing. You know, at middle of the night, they'd be gone. We'd yeah. go, we'd look through, you know, uh, uh, Stephen Tyler's uh, lyrics and, and, you know, just and stuff but it was like our second home yeah you know and we would have been fired so many times or we had kicked out of there if they knew half of what we were doing in there <laughs> but I, we even went to to a uh got to a point where we we're pulling reels oh, of yeah. other people's stuff and listening to them and figuring out what all these producers were doing and the engineers you know we're, yeah if, if that reel would have broke or something you know oh, i know we would have still been paying the lawsuit off you know but that's how we learned and my God, uh, Little Mountain, what a place to learn craft. Yeah. Like we had a, 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 a engineer for a while, and then that's where Kevin Churko kind of got his chops and Corey yeah. and all of us, you know, working on this big SSL board and all the, you know, it was all the top gear. Yeah. So the educational side of that was amazing. And, and it all stemmed from working our butts off. Yeah. Like just working hard and, and being the guys out there that were into the music and not so much into the party and or into the you know, the fame of being a musician. We just wanted to work hard. You know, that's all we knew, really. Yeah. You know, we all lived in a house together and and we had converted one of the, the only bedroom in the basement into like a little studio. And so it was, it, you know, but when you're in your early 20s and stupid, you don't know any different. So you think that's just the way everybody does it. And it's not till after you, you hear, oh yeah, we were a little different. Yeah, you, you figure, you know, those hours pay off. Oh my God, yeah. Because you think if you were, you know, you're playing six nights a week or on the weekends, whatever, and you're just, you know, out partying and drinking and then getting up at four in the afternoon right. and and then you think, well, what would that have, you know, led to? Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, you know, it's like that 10,000 hours thing, you know, it's uh, like yeah. y you have to put that 10,000 hours in before you you get good at something. Well, do you want to do 10,000 hours of music or 10,000 hours of partying? Cause you're yeah. going to be good at one and not the other. Well, exactly. And then, <laughs> so, and, and there's nothing wrong with partying. I no. mean, if guys just want to do it, have fun, that's great. But if you're serious about it as a career, yeah, then you got to put in the time. Yeah. And you, th you know, th that was a, a good chance for you guys to, you know, you figure you're playing that much and you're in the studio and how much you're learning. You probably had no idea at the time. Yeah. Um, what you're learning. Or, or just even the gift we had. It was like, oh, you want to give a studio? Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then you think back, it's like, nobody got that. Nobody, how did we get it? But, you know, we're nice guys. We're level-headed. We weren't idiots. Yeah. You know, people liked us. Yeah. I, I look back, um, I know when I was in my teens and uh, I was fortunate enough that we built a little uh, a studio attached to the house. Mm-hmm. And, um, what well, was a decent sized studio and, you know, drum booth, vocal booth, big main rooms, still basically the, the studio I use now. And I was 13 or 14 around that time. And, you know, we went to the local music store and in, in London and I know we bought some equipment, right. um, you know, one pretty decent mic. Um, and, a mixing console. I don't even remember what the first recorder was. And nobody knew how to run it besides me. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I even, I didn't really know how to, but you'd plug it all in. And, and right. I sit back and I, I look now, I spent hours, same thing, 
like I spent all my time in there. I had a old TR seven oh seven drum machine oh, yeah, and I would yeah. program stuff up, figure out how to use it. Got a we eventually had a little sampler and I would sample stuff and and do MIDI stuff, you know, right in the early, early, early days. And then I remember going getting into a uh, a twenty four track uh, recorder and then finally got into ADAT, ADAT machines yeah. and and um had this big PV PV made this recording uh, console. It was massive. Right. It's like bigger than this bed. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, it was, and that's what I used. And I think I, I don't, I don't think about that was so much of my learning was, uh, sitting there and spending hours. Right. It's like you guys yeah. did making and, mistakes and yeah. learning, learning from those mistakes. And, and I see younger people now, um, and you don't, you know, some people obviously are spending the time, but a lot of people, it's so many distractions. Um, it's, there was nothing else for me to do. I was on the farm and, right. and that's what we had. And that's, you know, yeah. TV wasn't that great. Yeah, same here. And that's what we did. We played and I programmed and I recorded stuff. And Can uh, you imagine having the technology we have now back then? Oh, I would have freaked out. Like sitting in your room. But it's too easy. Well, and then that, that's the problem. Like, you can you can get a recording program, open it up, and be recording in minutes. Yeah. Not really understanding what you're doing, but you can do it. Yeah, drop loops but, in. You got your drum thing already. You don't have to sit there and program the whole yeah. thing. And, and then you can, and you can sit back and go, look what I just did. You know. Yeah. But you're not getting into the meat and potatoes of the whole program and how the the process, anything like that. Yeah. And you know, and there's still there's guys that are doing it, but it's just too easy to just make it mediocre. And yeah. there's so much mediocre stuff out there now because of it. Yeah, I made I made my first album. I think I was fourteen, um, and that's what I call this. It's uh, it was called Darren Walters in Session, right? And that's how I came up with his name, uh, In Session with Darren Walters podcast, because cool. it was I played every instrument on the album. <laughs> it was just me and fourteen. Um, it's still around. I I haven't listened to it since probably I was twenty. And I don't want to because I'm, yeah. I'm afraid to listen yeah, to yeah, it. Right. I'm really, really afraid. I'm thinking, oh my God, how bad is this, right? Right. But you look back, it's like, holy crap, I made an album. Right, yeah. And I was 14 and I played everything on it. Amazing. And I'm thinking, wow, I wouldn't have the balls to do that now. No, absolutely not. Because, well, not only that, but you have the means to, to call in people. Yeah. You know, you can send them a track and go, hey, John Diamond, play the bass for me on this. Or, you know, whereas back then, who did you know? You knew you're, you were kind of Yeah, I was going to call John then. Yeah. I didn't know him. Or yeah. just you just kind of did it. And But that's the part of the thing is when you're younger, you're a little more carefree. And right. you, there's nobody judging you really besides yourself. Nope. And Yeah, nobody's saying you can't do that. Yeah. You just, you just go, oh, I'll just do it. I got I to gotta, I gotta listen to it at one point. I, I always have a hard time listening to the stuff I've played on because... I can't, you can't listen to it as a whole. Like, you yeah. know, uh, average listener listens to the song and you're listening to production. You're listening to every note you've played. You're listening to a glitch that you can hear that nobody else can hear, you know? So yeah. it's so hard not to nitpick what you've done. You know, the only time I can do it is if I hear a song and I've, I've forgotten I played on it. Yeah. And then you're like, hey, that's pretty good. And you, wait, you're like, oh, wait a minute. No, I played on that. So you stop enjoying it as soon as you you realize that's you playing, you know, yeah. it's like, Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I remember that. And, and Oh yeah, that one part. And so, you know, the magic is gone now. 
now you can't listen to it as a song. You're listening to it as your part. It's funny. I, I listen to older stuff that I recorded. And you sit there and say, God, who was playing on that session? And you can't remember who was on that session. You're trying to listen and listen and listen and listen. And it's like, oh, okay, I know that's Craig Bignall on the drums because I right. recognize that Phil. He, or there's something little inflections that you know people do, but sometimes it's, you know, it's difficult. And you're thinking, guitar player, who is that? You right, know, so. right. And you're waiting for that one little reminder, that one little lick or whatever. And everybody that, has that, right? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, I, I mean, I certainly know I do. Um, and it was funny. Um, when I met up with Corey this summer uh, with Shania when they came through London, he was really nice and took us backstage. And yeah, yeah. I know you you did that too. Yeah. And then he, so he took me to his his guitar setup station there. And so he gave me uh, each one of his fiddles to play. So I just did a little lick on each one, you know, a little, little thing. And then we left. My sister, she was with me and uh, she laughed and says, you play the same thing every time you pick <laughs> yeah, up the, right. you know, I, and I thought, you know what I do every time I, if I, someone were to give me an instrument or a fiddle to play, yeah. I instinctively play, play the thing. same little lucky thing every single time. Well, you know what, when I was playing with Leahy, you know, how many fiddle players in that band? Every, it's the exact same. Yeah. They'd be playing and it's the same thing every time they picked it up. Actually, uh, not to get sidetracked, but the, the Corey's fiddles, uh, the one of them is mine. I played it. Did you? Yeah. He told me about Oh, yeah. he did he give you a story, yeah. Yeah. Because he needed one. He was playing Letterman and he needed a backup. Yeah. And I had my grandma gave me a fiddle when I was young and and I sucked at it. Like it was horrible. It sounded like I was, I was torturing cats all the time. And so it just became artwork to hang on the wall. And when he got the the call, he was like, I need a second fiddle. I says, Well, do you think that's gonna <laughs> any good? Can you use it just so he went and got it uh pick up and everything on it and it's been on the it's been it, it's done more gigs than I have. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I played it for a second. I played all three of them. Yeah. And uh, just quick. And it was funny because after we kind of had left the station, um, I wouldn't say I was nervous to play, but, you know, you're around another guy and right. he hands you his instrument. Right. And, and, you know, it wasn't awkward or anything, but it just, there's something about it that was to some degree. I don't know what it was. Yeah. And so we went through, I played each instrument. And I was just listening to the tonal thing and we're just jacking it. And I knew in my back of my mind there was something different in each one. Right. But I wasn't paying that much attention. My my thought was somewhere else. He's like, okay, you better not play something stupid. Um, <laughs> and then um, as we're leaving, he said, yeah, yeah, I've got this one tuned up and I got this one tuned down. And I'm thinking, oh, that was it. <laughs> and, I, and it, you know, immediately I would have noticed that any other day. Right. Um, because I wasn't really concentrating on that. I was just kind of yeah. in this zone. I was like, oh, crap, okay. Just hand me my, I better not drop it. Or, yeah, right. you know, do something stupid. The, I totally did not notice that I just played three <laughs> violins that are completely different tunings. And as I walked away from that, I was like, oh, I'm such an idiot. You know, I can't believe I didn't really completely pick up. I, I Mentally, I knew something was different with them, but right. I was just wasn't. Well, you're thinking tone, you're thinking feel, yeah, just, you're thinking, you know. Cause I'm, you know, a stickler on pitch and all that stuff. So it was like, I walked away. It was one of those things like, oh God, I felt like I should, you know, right away I should have <laughs> said, hey, it's just different tuning. But no, I didn't say that. <laughs> oh. It's like walking, hey, this car's left-handed and right. drive, you know, it's yeah, on right. the other side. I didn't notice. Yeah. But, uh, and you know, he wouldn't have, it, that didn't register in his mind, but. No, you know, I know that, that's, but it's that's so funny thing. that we think that way all the time of yeah. ourselves. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. <laughs> but that look thing, yeah. And I knew I did it too, and I wasn't even paying attention to that. And uh, we walked away. Yeah, my sister, she's. Yeah, I said, you know, you play that same look every single time. Yeah, like, uh, I know. Busted. Yeah, it says he's never heard it. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a lot. So next next time we roll through, you're gonna have to work up something else. I know. Yeah. I'll just do it backwards. Yeah. <laughs> so you were in Vancouver, and obviously doing the underground outlaws thing. And, yeah, you and know all that, and, and it was it, it. We tried we tried to make it commercial, you know, but you can't unless sometimes you can't yeah. we're, we're all players and and we became known as like a musician's band yeah. musicians loved us regular people didn't really get it yeah and you know it was a struggle and the country thing we did worked a little better we got some play and stuff but even still it was a little complicated i would say for a lot of people and you know with that the pressures of all that the pressures of working non-stop and all that and eventually you know, Kevin had a young family and we were making no money and he had to bow out. And then, you know, eventually we just fractured. We just couldn't do it any longer. Yeah. And it was a, it was a huge blow, especially to me, you know, when I, you know, these are guys I played with for years and, and, you know, again, history gives you perspective and it was the best thing that could happen. I mean, our whole career, I mean, Kevin got to, Honus Craft at one of the best studios at the time in the world on the best yeah. gear. All of us gained a reputation. Uh, we all got to work on our instruments. And, you know, Kevin wouldn't be the world-class producer he is now without that experience. Corey wouldn't be on some of the biggest tours in the world without that experience. All that stuff came into play. And although it didn't work for us as a group, individually, yeah. it was it was the thing that, that got us all to the next levels. You know, some of us, a little higher than others, but yeah, you know. But you look back and you think that's what was supposed to happen. Yeah, we weren't supposed to stay a unit. We were all supposed to get really good and work hard and and learn how to do stuff and then go out and do it on our own. Yeah, but, same thing. You, you know, like you you say, you don't realize what's happening when it's happening. I know, and it's so tough being that you know living in a van, sitting in a van every night with in the dark. You know, thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I? living in a van when I could get a job and, you know, but you know that you're not going to be happy yeah. working and doing anything else. So for your craft, you suffer. Yeah. But then years down the road, you went, okay, that was a lesson that I needed to learn. Yeah. You know, it was, I had to, I had to have that happen. So I got, you know, my attitude towards what I was doing, uh, it, or even just to weed people out, like, you know, the strong survive. Yeah. And most people would have got to that point and quit. Yeah. And it, the the Poulton music is was just stronger. And even uh, years later, when I was the sideman guy, you know, tours only last so long, and then you're sitting around looking for the next gig. And you know, there's I've I've quit music so many times, and and something happens that draws you right back in. Yeah. After the Underground Outlaw thing, I went and I was a bike courier downtown Vancouver. And yeah. loved it. You know, it was a great job. You don't make a lot of money, but your freedom, you know, you just yeah. get to ride a bike all day as fast and hard as you can. And, and you're getting shape and, and eventually something happened that drove me right back into music, you know? And, uh, when I, I remember playing with farmer's daughter and that dried up and I, the only gig I could get was, was, uh, um, 
not sand, uh, grinding metal for this company that made these wheelchair lifts and stuff. You know, it was just a quick buck. I had to pay the yeah. bills. And I sat there and I hated every second of it. Hated it, hated it, hated it. Couldn't wait to go home. And as soon as I got home, I just started thinking, oh, I got to do this again tomorrow. And, and then something came up that was better, you know, and it was to do with music. So at some point, I kind of went, okay, don't fight it. The dry periods are going to be dry. You're supposed to be doing this. Yeah. Just keep hanging in there. And 30 some years later, I'm still playing, you yeah. know, still relevant. So I guess it was supposed to be. So you, you got the gig with Farmer's Daughter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, it was so funny. I got a call and it was like, do you want to fill in the bass player? Can't do it. And I was like, sure, you know, no problem. And, and, uh, got in there and, uh, it was kind of cool, you know, and I came in and I did the homework and all that and they dug what I did. And pretty soon I got the call for the, for the, the actual gig and they were a great bunch. They, uh, they were fun, you know, they were, they had status. Yeah. You know, a higher status than anybody I've ever played with before. So, you know, I was on a bus and it was all... That's why right, they had their bus, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, it's the worst yeah. bus in the world. <laughs> Three gals and guys in the band. So yeah. guys, they had a bathroom on there. They took it out because they're like, we're tired of cleaning the bathroom and no guy's going to do it. So let's just take it out. So there's yeah. no can on the bus. Yeah. So you were scared. You'd never drink water before you got on there. You were dry the whole time because... <laughs> They're, they're dehydrated for years. Well, and the, the one <laughs> one girl's uh, dad was the manager, Jerry yeah. Lesky, and uh, he was also the bus driver. He hated to stop unless you had you had to get fuel. Yeah, you didn't want to stop the bus. Right. So God help you if you had to. You were just you were if if you were asking him to stop, you were just a, you were seconds away from having an accident. You know. <laughs> so uh, they were they were great though. They were playing theaters. They were playing big festivals and stuff and. It got me to a point where, you know, I, you, you were, you're playing the bigger shows, so you're getting a little rec name recognition, you know, even though it's not you on the billboard, it's, yeah. it's them, but they, people start knowing who you are and you start making connections, you start meeting a lot of other people and, and that was a bit of a springboard, you know, and, um, and uh, I was in kind of like the last couple of years of them, they were getting close to being done, you know, again, they work so hard. They, I really like that group. They were great. Yeah. They were great. They were fun, you know. You know, it wasn't that big, you know, you think, well, three women, you know, strong women on the road and stuff. And, you know, there was stuff happening. But overall, they're pretty cool, you know, always professional. They're so professional. And we became such great friends, too, you know. Yeah. And, in fact, yesterday, I, my daughter's birthday party, Angela Kelman, the, oh, the okay. you know lead singer from there, she's been, my, you know, as close a friend as, yeah. as anybody, you know. And she's there, and I just treasure all those friendships are made back then and and you met lots of they had revolving players you know yeah. <clears throat> and uh, i was kind of when i came in i was kind of the guy until the end so i met a lot of different players coming and going and stuff yeah. and so you know you just kind of work your name up and and you know people start knowing who you are and you know talking about you and it's different in a group like that too because it's not like underground outlaws where you're playing uh all the time you yeah, know there's yeah. gigs every weekend yeah right when you get into that kind of status in canada um it's sort of like okay we got a bunch of gigs in the summer yeah right and then you're off for a bit or it's a little while to the next gig um and that's partially too why you get rotating players too because right. you can't keep them you, there's no you can't no. keep people on a retainer Unless, no, or something because there's no, no not enough money for that um 
so you have to you know lots of people come in and out of those situations yeah and you know you get your big cross canada tour and you play from west coast east coast well now you can't play for a while yeah you know and it, it's the second biggest country in the world and such a low population it's not like the states where you can spend a month in the north upper northeast you know and just doing gigs for a month there and then move into you know the california area and doing a month of gigs you can't do that here there's yeah. just not enough big places to play yeah you know the populations and stuff so so yeah it's tough and so you have these tours it's feast or famine it still is you yeah. know and and but the beautiful part is is you learn how to save you yeah. know when money's rolling in you hold on to it because you know that dry spell's coming up yeah and it it makes you better at with dealing with money at least for me it was anyway well yeah i mean that's important too you got to learn how to do that i mean sure i've been on the road with guys they want to advance i remember one guy i can't remember who it was but uh we're in edmonton and he asked to can i get an advance on our on the pay and it was like earlier in the week and they're supposed to be paid on friday so they give him his whole advance he went to west edmonton mall and bought a new camera and just blew it right and it's just like oh yeah, no concept of saving. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. sort of like it's now never, you're even that even further out now because right. now you've got a camera that you really didn't need, and right now it's going to be Friday's going to come, and you already spent that money, so now you're going to wait to the next Friday. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's I remember guys do like you'd hear other bands they do that all the time, get advanced, and then they'd you know at the end of the some bands would owe money to the to the bar that they played at all week because they kept getting advances, blowing on beer, and yeah whatever and end of, the, end of the week they ended up having to pony up money because they crazy. blew right through all their cash wow you know and, but you know again you, you it weeds people out you can't yeah. survive doing that no so you have to learn how to save a bit and you know yeah it's just all part of the learning process either you do it or don't so farmer starter finished up and you said you well, I, it's funny, and I was, you know, I was playing locally a, a fair bit, just cover bands and stuff. And I remember, uh, gosh, I'm I'm trying to think. It was, I remember getting a call for Aaron, just as a fill-in, yeah. and I don't even think he had an album out yet. And we're playing this place, and and uh, I I filled in, and and I remember Mitch, who was his guy at the time, is kind of his manager back then, I guess, saying, "Hey, do you want the gig?" And I'm like, "No." You know, I don't want to start at the bottom and work my way up and never thought anything about it. And to think now I'm still playing with the guy. I'm I'm thinking it was late nineties maybe. Yeah. That I filled in. So it was so funny that it all came around to that and, and with and then <clears throat> as it went along, I was filling in more and more and more and eventually it got to a point where I was the guy with him. Yeah. And uh it was great. I, I you know what, Aaron from the first time i've ever saw him i thought he was one of the best performers out there i still do yeah. i still think he's one of the best guys on stage out there and i'm i'm not just talking canada i'm talking worldwide yeah like in the country market this guy just burns it he leaves it all on stage every night just burns it up and it's so crazy like he'll sit there after a show as long as it takes if there's fans that want to say hi or get a picture of that he won't he won't move until the last person like we'll be back at the hotel in bed sleeping and he'll still be there signing or yeah. it's so crazy. Nobody does that. Everybody's like, okay, we got an hour and then sorry folks, uh, we got to go or whatever. He'll never do that. He'll forego sleep, everything else just for his fans. And it's so crazy. I mean, it's so nice. Yeah. But I don't know anybody else that would do that. Yeah. It's not a lot. Um, it's, it's a little more old school. 
Right. Um, you have old school guys, a little bit of access. That's it. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, I think nowadays it's not, you think that, no, that's not the thing that you're not supposed to do right, that. Right. But, um, it's fine. Cause you know, I work with a lot of old school folks and they, they do that. Um, red green out in the road. Um, yeah. he, you know, his lineups are just ridiculous. I bet. I mean, uh, majority of the audience stays. Right. And like he said, in the last podcast, if they would all stay, if they didn't see the lineup, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's true. And, and, but that means a lot yeah. to people and people remember that. Um, Absolutely. And that's how you, like his fan base is so loyal. Yeah. You know, and cause he's an approachable guy. He's if for right or wrong. I don't know if, I don't know if that's the best thing to be that approachable and that, you know, that everybody can have a PC if you want. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's value in the mystique of the artist, but no, he's like, he's got zero ego, anything like that. He's self-deprecating. He's just like, he'll make fun of himself before anybody else will. Yeah. You know, he's just, a, as as far as a, you know, quote unquote boss, like he just, he's so easy going. Like you can't offend him. You can't, like he will play us a, a new single before it's released. And the first thing we do is start doing alternate lyrics, to it, yeah. you know, and making fun of it. And, and he's right in there, you know, like how many guys would put up with that? Yeah. You know, but it, he's, it just tells you what kind of guy he is. And he's just, he's easy going. And I think sometimes he's a little too easy going. Yeah. But. Yeah, he's been great. He's been great, and and you know, <clears throat> all the years I've been with him, there's been rotating players, and they're all great players. And and like I say, you know, everybody you meet, there's an offshoot for some studio time or a new you know fill-in gig here and there. And so it's it's such a great gig that way. And he doesn't, he's so good about if you have another gig that you're committed to, no problem. Doesn't sweat it a bit. We have a roster of sub people yeah. now that come in and do it. And like, I could get a, a call to do a big gig tomorrow and say, "Hey, I can't do the show next week." And he'd be, "Oh, that's great. Don't worry about it." You know, yeah. who does that, right? Everybody wants commitments. And yeah. and when I got hired by Natalie, uh, I didn't actually lose the gig because he was like, "Yeah, no problem. We'll get subs until you're available." And and it's always your gig. That's awesome. You know, and and I couldn't make his priority you know just because she was a bigger act and the money yeah. was bigger and everything was bigger and you know so but he was just like yeah i don't care that's fine yeah. just let me know when you're back and you slide right back in so how did the natalie gig come about <clears throat> oh man uh i was let's see i got the Leahy gig first yeah uh as a fill-in guy uh through Corey. well actually if you want to go back to the underground outlaw days they were fans Oh, yeah. And I didn't know who Lay was back then. And yeah. I didn't know who Lay was until the Shania stuff happened and they were the opening act. Yeah. And, uh, they would, uh, I'm, uh, and, and they would tell me, that, you know, I'd meet some of the guys and they, I was the celebrity. They weren't, it was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Well, we're listening. And they knew more, more about underground music than I ever would remember. And, you know, yeah. they're coming at stuff and they loved it. And, and then even with Farmer's Daughter, if I was playing close by, they'd come out and hang. And, That's good. And during the Shania time, they were like, uh, they, they, because they, they, all of them have a million kids. Yeah. So their bass player was their sister, and she was having a, another child at the time, and they needed a fill-in just for some of the tour. So I was like, oh, God, you know, that'd be great. You know, Corey in the band and yeah. and go play some Shania gigs as the opener. and. I had a meeting with Danelle and everything. Anyways, it didn't work out. 
and but they remember me all for all those years and and lo and behold later on uh Siobhan the bass player was having another kid and they called Corey and say hey do you think you'd be into it so Corey gave him my number and and I remember I was it was a Saturday morning I'd gigged the night before at some club or bar or something and the phone rings at six in the morning and I'm like oh my god and I pick it it was before telemarketers so he always picked up the phone yeah it was Siobhan Leahy and she's like hey uh, got your number here. Uh, it's your own lady. You, are you interested in, and I'm like, you know, I'm half asleep. I'm saying, oh, I got gig. I'm sorry. I can't help you. I got gigs, but thanks for calling. She goes, Hey, no problem. That's fine. And I hang up and I'm laying in bed. I thought you idiot. <laughs> and thankfully I'd call display. So I, I, I call her back and I said, Hey, sorry. You, it's, it, she goes, Oh, it's six o'clock there. Oh my God. It's nine. And yeah, yeah. I never even thought of it. And and I said, listen, can you give me a couple days on this? And I said, I'll clear my schedule if I can. And and she's like, yeah, no problem. And so I cleared my schedule. I'll call her back. And she's like, okay, I need you in 10 days. The first gig's in north of uh, uh, Detroit. I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's, it's Celtic. Yeah, no problem. To me, Celtic country, there's yeah. no different, right? So <laughs> a couple days later, uh, a package arrives and it's their material to learn. It's live stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God, like this is crazy. Like this is not, I can't, there's no way I can play this. Like Siobhan, first of all, is a bass player that's never listened to another bass player. She's just listened to fiddle players all the time. So she has no idea of what the role of the bass is. She's playing these crazy intricate lines along with the fiddle. And I'm like, yeah. forget it. And then I, and then I stop for a minute. I'm like, Don't blow this. You can do this. And by then it was a week till a gig. So I said, you can do this. And I said, and then I went, you can do this without charts. You have to learn this stuff. Yeah. You have to go in there and blow them away. And so I didn't eat or sleep for that whole week. I just sat there and I worked. And if I go on a run, I'd be listening to this stuff on the, on my run. You know, yeah. I just, they just absorbed it. So I fly out there and meet them all at sound check. And, uh, and we do sound check and it goes great. And and they say, oh, by the way, oh, oh you got that? that, that uh, those CDs? Oh, yeah, they're a year old. So we've added a different intro. Uh, we've added a part to this. I'm like, oh, my God. And oh, by the way, there's two other songs that weren't out there, but you'll probably get them. And they're like, no, like I have no concept of what they're playing. They're, I, you can't feel it. You can't. Yeah. Anyways, w whatever. The planets aligned that night. And, and, I, and it was like I played with them for years. Everything went smooth. You know, they didn't even realize they had a sub. People in the audience didn't know. And, you know, Natalie's um, married to Danelle, who's the head, yeah. one of the, the head guy at the Leahy's. And she just happened to be having a night off and she was there. So she got to witness this whole thing. You know, this guy walking on stage, never played with him before, no charts, and nails the gig. So she was pretty excited about that. So I traveled with them for quite a long time, just as a sub, you know, yeah. here and there. And then I'd come back and I'd be playing with Aaron or doing local stuff. And then I got a call. Oh, sorry, this is a long story. But then I got a call from this guy uh, from Italy. He's a crooner, young crooner guy. Yeah. And uh, he and I had actually done a small tour with him before. And I got a call back for it. And before we were playing small little places in I think five shows in the States and I'm, I'm playing those five shows and, and, uh, we get to New York and first time in New York and oh my God, it's so exciting. And I can't wait to hit New York and I get to my hotel room and my phone rings and it's Natalie and it's like, Hey, are you interested in, in <laughs> being part of the band? I'm like, are you kidding? Of course I am. Yeah. Like, 
another lottery I just won. Like, you know, this is Nellie. Like, if you don't know who she is, yeah, she's, you know, this great player. But she's like, you know, the Bruce Springsteen of her genre. You know, she's as big as they get. And I said, yeah, yeah, this would be great. And uh, and she says, okay, well, uh, we have a couple shows, Canada shows, and then we got a flight of uh, France for a one-off, and then we go on tour with Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I think I had six weeks to learn this stuff. And, yeah. and, and it's even more complicated. It, it, yeah. Well, again, it's like it's its own style again. Yeah. It's like you can't feel the changes. Like they're, it's it's crazy, you yeah. know. And, and unless you're born into it, you don't you don't really ever have it part of your psyche you don't you don't absorb it like like when you these guys you know they hear the first thing and the way they go into the tune doesn't matter what you know they don't say hey can we play this song they just start playing yeah and and they would forget that i'm not a cape retner and at the time most of the band was and and uh it was flying by the seat of my pants all the time all the time and and uh it, it it bothered me for the first little while because I always like to know what they're supposed to be playing, yeah. especially when people are out there, you know, thousands of people out there paying 60 plus bucks a ticket. You don't want to be flailing, right? Yeah. And it took me a long time just to get comfortable with that. She would just yell E minor and I'd go, okay, I know it starts in E minor then. Yeah. And then you'd go, right? Yeah. So, and, and in a way, Leahy was kind of like that. They had, they had a structured set but they would go off every now and then. Yeah. And they they because they were a family, like they were all playing since the day they're born together. Yeah, they can they can pull something they did yeah, 15 so, years ago on and so yeah. they away they go and yeah. and they were oh god, I remember uh the Youngtown, Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio, I think it was. Mm-hmm. We get there and they're like, "Oh, yeah, by the way, it's a symphony show today." I'm like, "Okay, what does that mean?" "Oh, well, uh, there's different arrangements." Okay. <laughs> you know, you're doing a show and there's a symphony behind you. That's what a symphony show is. And so I'm like, okay, can somebody sit down with me and explain this? Yeah, no problem. And of course, it never happens. Yeah. And then sound check comes and you're up there and with the orchestra and and you know, they start this big intro and and it's just like one of those dreams you have where, you know, you're on stage and not wearing any clothes or something like that. You know, the whole orchestra is going and then the conductor stops them. And he looks directly at me and says, oh, do you need me to count you in? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to let them. <laughs> So apparently I was supposed to start with the thing. So, you know, I just kind of mute my strings and, and try yeah. to make some sound in rhythm with what they're doing. I had no idea what they're doing and yeah. stuff. So it was hard because, like I say, I came from, you practice the tunes and you get them dead on and stuff. And, and but this, I just had to listen yeah. and try to follow along. And a lot of times I'm just a little bit behind, but... Again, man, I wasn't going to, to either of those gigs, I wasn't going to say no. And especially, I mean, I, I was a fan of the Flectones from day one. And oh, yeah. to, I'm like, I can't believe we're going to be touring. So I jumped on that right away and, and didn't matter. And Natalie, whatever she would say to me, I would never say no. I'd say, yep, I can do that. I can do that. She'd go, can you play this line? And it'd be this crazy line. And I'd go, yeah, no problem. And I'd say, yeah, I had a little recorder. And I'd say, can you just play it slow into this? And I'd stay up all night trying to get up to speed. And yeah. But I just never said no, and I think that's what kept me in the gig, you know. And and the that's, experience with her is just yeah, it's great work ethic. I mean, that goes right yeah. back to you know playing with the Churchills and undergrounding those hours you'd spend. Yeah. It's you just learn really good discipline, and um, that's 
missing with a lot of people yeah. today. They don't spend those hours or they, or they say no. Yeah. Like I like, could have said no and, and it probably wouldn't have meant anything. But if you say no enough times, they're going to find someone who says yes. Yeah. It's like, Oh, what's the rehearsal money? And yeah. And yeah. you know, and they're like, Oh, how many, I mean, we get that back home. I mean, there's part of it where, yeah, it is a lot of work to do a one-off. Yeah. Um, you got to learn third of tunes or whatever it is. And, you know, at the end of the day, you see your paycheck and the amount of hours you spent. Right. Uh, it doesn't make sense. But if you're not doing anything anyways. Right. Why not? Why not? <coughs> because yeah. it's those gigs that could get you that next gig. Exactly. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you like said, you fill in for ladies and, yeah, and, it, and Allie's there. And if you, mm-hmm. if you didn't, you know, work your butt off, none of that extra stuff would have happened. Well, I tell you what's uh, solidified the gig for me with her is uh, she saw that first one, but you know, it was a year or so that went by before I got hired, but she had a new album, uh, her blueprint album came out and it had all the Nashville cats on it. It had Sam Bush, it had Bela, it had Victor Wooten. Yeah. And there was one, one tune with her and Vic just uh, alone playing together. And, yeah. and Vic had done this really fast harmonic kind of thing at the start before it kicked in. And I went, that was great. That's awesome. So I sat there for a full week learning that. This is before I had her gig. And uh, she had, uh, they toured all the time together. Or not together, but at the same time. Because if you're away from home, why not do your tours? And she had a a couple nights off. So she flew into our tour and hang out. And we were playing, I think, Santa Monica. And and she's walking across the stage at Soundcheck. So I start playing the intro, this really intricate intro. And you can just see her walking along, walking along. And she's, says something now walks back and she stops and it hits her what I'm playing. And I think that was the moment that solidified my, my position in her band because it was like, it was such a hard part. And, and to her, it was like, okay, this guy can, can step in and do this stuff. So, you know, I didn't have to learn it. It was cool. I loved listening to it and I didn't need to take a week to perfect it, but I did. Yeah. And that was another, another thing that got me the, the gig, you know, and, and got me that gig. I mean, her inner circle is all those guys, like, you know, Mike McDonald sang on her album, yeah. and Yo-Yo Ma, she played with a lot, and, you know, she does Carnegie Hall, and, you know, gets, it's just crazy, her her inner circle, and none of those people are any more important than anybody else. Like, yeah. you know, she doesn't flaunt the fact that she hangs with these guys, because, no, you know, Joe Blow from back home is just as important as these guys, you yeah. know? And so it would just start blowing my mind that, you and then know. she marries Donnell. And then she marries Donnell. It's <laughs> like, sort of like, well, okay, that's quite the combo. Yeah, no kidding, right? It's like the, they call them the Celtic powerhouse, and and it's it's true. Like it's crazy. I you know? I grew up uh, uh, when I was young, uh, fiddle contest with Donnell. Oh, Donnell right? and I used yeah. to compete in. There was the Schreier triplets, um, <laughs> and it was just I, I mentioned in an earlier podcast. It was ridiculous. I mean, even when I was like eight, nine, ten. Mm-hmm. It was like, holy crap, you know, and every once in a while I'd win, you know, I just, <laughs> and, but it was like, you know, it's like every time you'd show up and it'd be like, oh, Donnell's in the competition. <laughs> oh, crap. Well, it must've killed him when you won though. Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, it pretty, you know what? It probably made him way better because he would have, because I don't think he would, you know, I, I know him very well and he probably doesn't take losing very well. So it probably inspired him to even work harder. You know what I mean? Yeah. It. Yeah, it was, 
it was difficult. I always bummed me out when I seen who was, yes. I think one of those things you'd show up the content, you never knew who was going to be in your, right. in your category. Then you see everybody that shows up and it's like, it was, you know, it was a powerhouse pack of fiddle players that were under 12. And, uh, I was like, Holy crap. Um, but yeah, now, uh, well, I hear the stories of this, like Danelle always tell, talked about these fiddle contests. And I think, you know, back in Saskatchewan, every farm, uh, show or every little fair or whatever they always had fiddle contests and they weren't that great you know i can't imagine going and actually seeing the talent that was there at the time and going you know it must have been mind-blowing yeah i mean for for someone sitting out in the audience to see guys that good yeah you know instead of some kid screeching away or you know some old guy that his bow sliding all over the place oh yeah yeah Yeah, that's what we had yeah it was crazy but uh yeah i totally respect I did a bunch of shows with Natalie too. Uh, um, I know the family, we were doing some, there's a big uh, seniors convention that would happen all the time. She was playing with, um, oh gosh, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head. Um, kind of a Celtic singer. Oh uh, yeah. Something oh something. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't believe, I can't believe I'm making, uh, can't remember his name. Um, anyways, yeah, I met her a few times, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't know her, you know, she wouldn't know me now, but, uh, you know, Danelle, we certainly grew up families playing, you know, yeah. and, and all that. So, um, and, they, and you know what, they were the greatest people too. They're, <clears throat> they're so much fun to be around oh, off yeah. stage. Yeah. And, you know, they'd always have these little things they would do, you know, cause it gets boring up there. Yeah. So they'd have challenges, you know, and, and even like, you know, card game you wouldn't pay for play for money you play for humiliation you had to do something you know yeah. and like go downstairs to the front desk with your pants around your ankles asking for a roll of toilet paper you know stuff like that yeah, or, yeah. or two of the guys have to do a slow dance in the lounge or, <laughs> so you would you would try as hard as you could to win i remember golfing once with him me and one of the brothers teamed up against Danelle and one of his brothers and and we, I lost and I had to, they, they carried with them a G string and a speedo <laughs> for the, <laughs> the, 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 the bets. And I had to do a dance in front of everybody in this G string, nothing but a G string. It was the worst thing in the world. And I ended up stop. I stopped playing cards and I stopped golfing with them because I just didn't, I couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, but it was, those are things that would. The thing was pre iPhone days. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually it wasn't, it, oh, no. but, but it was, that was the rule. You couldn't. You yeah. Know, because that stuff would get out, but that's they were they were fun that way. They were just a laugh a minute, all of them. And and then Natalie was just the easy going. God, she was, you know, you had to do a good job. Yeah, you know, and if you were sliding at all, you would know, and you would feel a hundred times worse just knowing that you let her down, kind of thing. Yeah, she yeah. was that kind of person. But she was so much fun, and all those Cape Breton people are are crazy. You know, they're yeah, they're so special much, people. Well, if they're like probably within. 15 minutes of meeting all of them, they were insulting me and stuff. And, and I learned later that that's how you are on the inside. If they're yeah. making fun of you, then they like you. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, okay, you know, you got a lot to learn yeah. in that bunch, but you know, it, it was so good. And just the gigs I played with her and the musicianship and, you know, she had revolving musicians and God, going back to my, my days listening growing up they're not growing up but listening to victor wooten he had a drummer named jd blair and mm-hmm. he was just fantastic and he got the shania gig you know in the first with the world tours and stuff yeah. he was the guy you know with the uh ski goggles yeah, on yeah, yeah. and she hired him 
So here's this guy that I idolize, and now I'm going to be on stage with him. And I'm like, what What am I going to do? Like, he, this is Victor Wooten's right-hand guy at the time. Yeah. And now I got to play with this guy. It was great. Like, like he was, again, one of those guys that, you know, saw good in everything. It doesn't matter. He would be, you know, see a terrible player and he would pick up on only the good things. And and I remember first meeting him and first rehearsal, he sat down behind his kit, looked at me, he says, let's play. And I'm like, <laughs> and, you know, my fingers turned to sausages and I don't yeah. remember any, like, I can't even play a lick. And anyways, it, it turned out great. So I got to play with him for like six years, my my idol. Yeah. You know, awesome. that was the the circle that Natalie was in. and Now you get to play with Jason Brankworth. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I mean, sometimes <laughs> you have to go backwards. No, you know what? I love Jason. He's, he's, he's fantastic. He's fantastic. He's such a fun guy. He's uh, he's always up. He never is down. He's got so much energy. He's always thinking about how to think, make things better. He's, he's a great guy. I, I love playing with that guy. It's funny. I think it was last summer. Um, was it this summer? I can't remember. A friend of mine, Ron, uh, who owns the PA shop in London, I did a podcast with him not long ago. And he was doing production at the, uh, I think it's the Boot Hill. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Jamboree. Thing. Yeah. So he was there and he texted me and he was like, holy crap, you wouldn't believe this rhythm section. <laughs> and... Uh, and so who's playing this Aaron Pichette. I'll say, Oh yeah, those are my buddies. Uh, yeah, they're, they're really awesome. <laughs> and, uh, he, he doesn't stop talking. Right. Uh, how good you guys were. Wow. And he sees everybody. He's a bass player from years ago. And, um, <coughs> yeah, he was just totally blown away. It, it's funny. We've been playing, I guess, over 10 years now together with Aaron and, and you know how, you know, old married couples start looking like each other and, yeah, yeah. or people with, pets start looking like the we're looking like each other we both get glasses we kind of dress the same and half the time we you probably couldn't tell the difference between us that's how how tight we've gotten over the years yeah. not only do we play tight but we're starting to look <laughs> exactly the starting same. to look tight <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's he's I, I love that guy i i would go to battle with him any day of the week he's he's so good yeah yeah he's uh he's a nice guy for sure yeah well uh i gotta head downtown soon but oops um so I haven't even got to my good stories yet. What? Okay, go. Cool. Oh, really? Yeah. My, I'm, I'll tell you my, uh, my two drink minimum story. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've got a, f- a few. I'll do them real quick. No, no, um, yeah, go. Uh, again, the whole work ethic thing comes back to to reward you. I got a call from a friend of mine who was booking the casinos and stuff and saw me play a lot and I played with her a lot and she says, "Hey, uh, I, I, her, her other half was Mike Reno." Her name okay. is Kathy St. Germain. And, yeah. and I played a few gigs with Mike Reno from Loverboy. And she goes, do you want to go down to the Caribbean and play with this classic rock thing? And I'm like, yeah, that's the Caribbean, sure, absolutely. She goes, yeah, the, the one guy's Bobby Kimball from Toto. Nice. Uh, 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 Jimmy Jameson from Survivor. Uh, John Cafferty, you know, the Beaver Brown Band yeah, on yeah. the dark side. Holy crap, you know, like, to- but I mean, they're all great, but Toto. Here's a guy that sang you know, all the songs, the, the high part in all the songs. So I get down there and, I, you know, you meet all these guys and, you know, they're not in their prime, you know, yeah, back in the least, but they're still the guys. Yeah. So I get to do like three shows with these dudes and, and you're sitting on stage and at Soundcheck and there they are, you know, that's the guys. So I, I get to play all of, you know, Rosanna and Hold a Line and Africa and all these classics with this guy, you know, and 
And through that, so I did that gig, and then I get another call. Hey, um, I got another special gig for you. And I was like, okay, what is it? Uh, Gene Simmons from Kiss. Yeah, his, he wants his kids to do a bunch of shows. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And I grew up on Kiss. Like, Kiss, Kiss is one of the biggest... He's one of the biggest reasons I play bass. You know, the first time I heard that on one yeah, of the live yeah. albums, I was like, oh, I want to do that. So sure enough, there we are. Meet his kids. There he is. First thing he does at the rehearsal, walks in. We're playing halfway through a song. Yeah. He walks in. We see him walk in. He walks right by me, goes to my amp, and starts changing the EQ. No way. It was like, it was the equivalent of a dog walking up and lifting its leg on you, right? <laughs> so it was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. I'm and I had hired some local guys. They're, the they had a, a keyboard player from L.A., uh, Teddy Andreas, who was with Guns and Roses and stuff like that. And he was a music director. And they wanted me to hire some players here. And you know, I have a whole roster of good players I could have called, but I had to get good players that were even you know that could take some abuse because I knew this was going to be a tough one. Yeah, I got some great guys, and we did nine shows with with them. And and he was very difficult to work with yeah his kids were unique uh it was one of the, like so when you changed your tone did it was it for the better or for the worse it was like big fat 70s sound yeah exactly what, what you, he, yeah what he's going for and it was funny the first show we did was in a lounge just to kind of a test thing and they were doing jazz standards like but they were also doing rock and he wanted the the jazz to be like rocking you know like yeah and, you know, we're doing it at last, da, 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 da. you yeah. know, how do you make that heavy? So I got electric upright. I'm playing because there's upright all over these songs. And, mm -hmm. and so we're playing and I'm playing, you know, there he is. And the kids come on. We're playing. I'm, you know, reading charts and playing. And this guy comes up and starts tapping my elbow. And I'm like, I said, hey, man, I'm in the middle of a song. He goes, Gene wants you to play harder. I'm like, what? He goes, Gene wants you to play harder. Like harder, what does that mean? I'm playing as hard as I can. It's an yeah. upright. And and after he comes up and he's standing like six inches from my face, he's like, If you play like that tomorrow night, I'm gonna find out where you live and, and hunt you down. He said, He's yelling at me, right? And I'm like, Well, this is cool. I'm getting yelled at by Gene Simmons. <laughs> and uh anyways, what he and I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna explain to him that I'm going through the PA. Because he obviously doesn't understand that the guy at front of the house turns up and down. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, he just wants to see a big amp on stage. So I went and rented this humongous amp just for my upright. I, I was playing yeah. electric too and had all these, you know, this little lounge thing. I had all these amps and everything. And and uh, that made him happy. And it scared the hell out of everybody in the lounge because I was so loud. It was just re disgusting. And uh, and it was then he was all happy. And yeah. then he's like, and he wants to invite us for dinner he's like hey i'm you know i'm after the show we're gonna have a dinner up there and it was him and his wife and his family and he invited the whole band and my wife was there and i'm like oh i don't want to go <laughs> and my wife's going we gotta go we gotta go yeah so we went up there and the whole band's at the table we're the last ones to show up and we sit down we get the menus and they're all having a beer and talking and and uh so we order and as soon as we order the rest of the, all the band goes okay i gotta go so let's see and i'm like you bastards so there's me and my wife, Gene and his wife, sitting there, and it's like, oh God, all I could do I was just watch, look at my watch, thinking I got to get out of here, and and he just talked about himself the whole time and all this stuff, and then it's like, okay, we got to go, and he's like, oh, I ordered a dessert tray, you got to stay for that, and I'm like, oh God, <laughs> so, and it was really hard to talk to him, like he just 
you know, he knew everything and yeah. like, and, and rightly so he's like one of the that biggest rock that, yeah. gods in the world. And, and, uh, I never, ever told him that he was the reason I played bass. Cause I thought I'm not going to tell him that not after all I've been through. No way. And the first gig was like, okay, we got through it. That's fine. And, uh, I had to fly to Boston for a Natalie show and I thought, well, got through it, got paid. I'm done. I'm never going to do it again. And, and I get to Boston, I kick on my phone and there's an email from somebody at, at, uh, genesimmons.com. And I'm like, what's this all about? And it was his accountant and, and, and the accountant was like, well, Gene really liked what you did and all this stuff. And he wants to give you a bonus. Wow. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, do you want a direct deposit or a check? And I went, I want a check cause I want his signature. Right. Yeah. yeah. The guy gave us like a $2,000 bonus wow. for the two shows. And I thought, well, now I can't say no. Yeah. And of course we never got a bonus after that again <laughs> and it just got worse and worse and worse and it was just it was so hard everyone and thank god i had the right guys with me and but you know then again that's what my hard work paid off it got me that gig and it yeah. got me a great story you know and, oh for sure and uh, it's know, funny sometimes how you think the greatest gig ever mm-hmm ends up not being that great yeah yeah you think oh yeah. i get to work with this guy and then the guy turns out to be just horrible to work with yeah and, you know and i don't you know he's he's filthy rich he's filthy successful i guess he has a right to be that way a bit but yeah, yeah i i'm i'm not and i didn't you know not once did i ask him for his autograph or a picture and i was just like no nah, i'm not gonna do that yeah i have a tough time with that because you know you meet certain people and and i just getting my picture with somebody yeah it seems weird i just i have a you know and i'll you know i'll call home or something i'll be talking to my mom or whatever and so yeah i just met whoever it's did you get your picture and it's like no 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 so you better go get it and it's like no yes i just can't i can't do it it doesn't feel right to me it seems kind of shallow it seems like hey you're great uh, oh by the way can i get a picture so it can be about me yeah you know it's like it and if somebody does that to me I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I have no problem with it. I don't yeah. think that of anybody else, but for me to do it, no, I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. Unless somebody says, hey, get in there. I'll get a picture of you guys. And then yeah. I'm like, okay, that'll work. But yeah, it's crazy. And yeah. And, oh, I can tell you my Shania story. Sure. <laughs> I got the Vegas show twice and, and never played a note. <laughs> you got it twice? <laughs> yeah, I got I got hired for the gig twice. Oh, yeah. I went down and a, a Corey got me an audition when they were doing the residency there. And yeah. And, uh, and so I went down there and again, I knew what they needed. They, you know, the Mutt Lang thing, he wasn't involved, but yeah, I yeah. know that's the level. Like every, you learned, you know, you played exactly like the album and you learned the vocals like the album and yeah. went down there and auditioned. There's two days of auditions and, and nailed the first one. And JD was the, the drummer in that too. Yeah. They hired him back. So it was like, I'm playing with Corey and JD. It was great. Yeah. You know, this is going to be awesome. And. And so they're like, yeah, that's great. And went out with Corey and JDA for dinner. And Corey's like, yeah, you're in. They want you to start thinking about endorsements, things like that. And, and I'm like, that's great. And, and the guy said, can you come back tomorrow? Cause we're auditioning a bunch of other guitar players and stuff. And, and so I said, sure. Yeah. Um, I went back and they were happy and everything. And, and Corey had to fly out that day and I had an extra day. So I said, Hey, I'll drive you to the airport. So as we're going to the airport, he gets an email. And it's the old bass player that did all the tours with him. Yeah. yeah. And he played with Billy Joel and yeah. Billy wasn't doing anything. So he said, Hey, I'll, I'd like to come back and I'll do that. It don't, you know, the pay doesn't matter and all that stuff. And Corey's like, Oh shit. And he says, 
you know, so they hired him because he'd played the show forever. Yeah. And why wouldn't you hire him? And <clears throat> anyways, I guess at some point he, Billy Joel started getting busy again. So he said to them, or he said to the road manager, he said, you know, I'm, I, I can do up till December and then I'm out. So no problem. I get an email. I'm going to the island and I get an email. Hey, you still interested? <laughs> yeah. He says, okay, well, this is happening and, and uh, he's going to play out these shows. And, and yeah, so if you're in, uh, somebody will contact you. And I thought, yeah, that sounds great. So there's my second hire. And, and then I get an email back a couple of weeks later saying, yeah, things have changed. So I got literally got hired for the gig twice. twice. Never stepped on stage once. And, and and people are like, oh, that's awful. And I think that's the best story in the world. Are you kidding? I, yeah, I didn't get the gig, but I got a great story out of it. Yeah. You know, so it's another one of those things to add to the book. And Well, obviously it wasn't meant to be, right? Yeah, and, and that's fine. I met some great people and, yeah. and got, you know, it's great. And the guys that got the gig were awesome. Like they, I, re, I, I auditioned with a couple of the players and, you know, they were all nervous back, you know, waiting their turn. And I was talking to them like, you know, don't be nervous. It's just do your thing, right? Yeah. And they actually got the gig and it was, it was great. Yeah, but you know, I guess I was good enough to play with the big boys. Oh, of course even, you are. Even, even though I didn't get get to play with the big boys, but <laughs> so man, it's you know. Well, you never know what's around the corner, right? And, and it's, it's the hard work, the attitude. Yeah, like, I'm coming right back to where we started. You know, it's just like if you got if you got the work ethic, if you're willing to put in the time, yeah, and be patient, things will happen. You know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What's well, been lots of fun? Yeah, man, this is great. I can't believe you even wanted to involve me in this well, i think we I, could probably talk all afternoon that's probably yeah, yeah yeah right um what's the best place for people to uh reach out and find you you know what i i have a website but i'm letting it go because i don't know do i need a website like you know most of my gigs are word of mouth so yeah. i have like the facebook and the instagram and all that stuff going on um but if you need to get a hold of me ask someone yeah <laughs> they, probably know, they probably know how to get a hold of me and that's yeah, that's just the way it is now. When you're sitting here, you're doing this for long enough, people know who you are. So I got nothing to sell. Yeah. You know, I got no... No no bass guitars you want to get rid of? Or? Um, no, no. I, I Actually, I'm, I'm good at that. So I want to keep everything I got. But yeah, just I'm out there. You know who I play with. Um, you don't have that old bass guitar, the first one. Oh, no. I wish. Don't you wish you had I yeah. wish I had that. You know, I looked on the internet. I found it. Like I found a, a version, version of it, of it yeah. and it was, it's just a horrid looking thing, just ugly and all that. And I think, God, I wish I would have just had that, just, you know, a reminder of where you come from because yeah. you forget, right? Yeah. And that would have been great, you know, or, or God, I wish there was like YouTube or something back then. So I would have a copy of that first gig I did or, you know, just how, how <laughs> terrible I was. People are lucky now because everything's documented yeah, document, so much. Sure. Um, you know back when there's so many things that I wish there was a copy of, I would have seen. And even well, I go back to my fiddle contest days, I wish there was, I think, you know, maybe we had the old VHS recorders, right, you know, ones right. where you strap the, the VHS machine around the, yeah. the, your side of you and yeah, had you these had big the cameras. Rest. You looked like you worked for CTV or, yeah. um, but there's not much. Um, yeah. You know, I, it's, I wish there was a lot more. I'm not sure if I would want to watch it, but at least I know it's there. There, you know, yeah. at, at the same time too, you know, you can't get away with anything. You can't be, you can't have those nights where you're a bit of an idiot or anything these days because yeah. everybody records everything. So they probably be, I probably wouldn't be in the business if there was yeah. handheld recorders <laughs> back then because everybody would go, oh, that remember that guy did that? Yeah, let's watch it. And yeah, glad we didn't hire him. <laughs> well, it's been, it's been a blast. I, uh, thanks, I really appreciate man. you driving uh, 
And I know it's a bit of a drive. And uh, it's Vancouver. Everything's a bit of a drive. It is. I know. That's the one thing about the city. It sucks for that. But yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have to do another one of these. Maybe. Yeah, man. I probably got, I don't know if anybody's interested, but I got a million stories still. And we'll maybe get I'd, you and Jason uh, oh my God, that'd on be the great. same podcast. Yeah. And, yeah. I, Next time you're in town, let me know because I know a ton of people too that would love to do this. Yeah. We'll yeah. do that for sure. All right. Uh, once again, thanks for listening. Uh, make sure you hop on to iTunes. Uh, hit the like button. Uh, yeah. rate, give us a five stars, please. That gets us up on the ratings. Uh, available on Google Music, on Stitcher, and a bunch of other things. So this Google in session with Darren Walters, you find the stuff. And uh, reach out, say hello. I'd love to talk with you. And Shane, thanks again. Hey, was, thank you, man. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it's this awesome. one. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks. You bet. <laughs>